Good morning, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Good morning. Hope y'all enjoyed that extra hour of sleep you got this morning. Amen. Amen. I know I did. Well, let's open in prayer. God, I thank you that we all got here safely. I pray, God, that you would work through your spirit to help us know you better, to love you more. God, I pray that you would speak through me. Uh, And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit uh, would guide us this morning as we look to Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but whenever growing up uh, in school, if I ever had a crush on somebody, if I wanted to go out with somebody, it was good news to me when somebody said, hey, that person likes you. You should, you should ask them out. I would think, are, are you sure? That was the most important question. Are you sure? How do you know? I didn't just walk over and say, hey, you know, my friend told me I, I had to know before I go out and maybe get rejected. Do you know this for a fact? And typically, whenever we have good news given to us, don't we respond that way? We respond, are you sure? Or we may say, how do you know? Well, Paul has been teaching us in Romans about what God has done for us in Jesus. And the natural response is to ask, are you sure? How can you know? Well, Paul in our passage for today is going to answer that question, how can you know? Paul says that I am convinced so the question is, how are you convinced? Why are you convinced? How, how can I know like you know? Well, let's read our passage for today. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. It's Romans 8, 31 through 39. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're asking, how can you know this, Paul? How can you know this this good news is real and that it's for all of us? Well, the first thing Paul says is that we can know that God loves us 
Number one, because of Jesus. Well, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, he's saying, we know that God loves us because of Jesus. And we know that he sent Jesus to us because he's for us, because he wants what's good for us. I mean, he, in verse 32, he says he spared, he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And if he gave him up for us all, how will he not with him willingly give us all things? Well, sometimes we question that. Is God really for us? Does God really care about us? Does God really love us? And Paul says that if we aren't convinced by what Jesus did for us on the cross, then we're not going to find anything else that will convince us. When we look to Jesus, when we look to what he did for us on the cross, that's how we can know that God is for us. Not that God has made us Lord, but that our Lord loves us and cares about us. When we see Jesus on the cross, then we can say with Paul, oh, if God did not even spare his own son, well then how will he not also give us everything? In other words, how can we expect God to hold his love back from us? How can we expect God to hold back anything from us if he's not even going to spare his own son? Now, if that's true, then God really is for us in the sense that he cares for us and loves us. And I like how N.T. Wright, in his commentary on the book of Romans, he points out how this passage is very similar to the story in the book of John about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Now that is in John chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 11. So John chapter 7, verse 53 through chapter 8, verse 11. Now it says, They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test Jesus, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So let's read verse 34 again in Romans chapter 8. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus asked this woman, who condemns you? She said, no one. Jesus said, neither do I. And Paul is saying because of Jesus, we can know that we do not stand condemned because of what Jesus has done for us. Any 
person or even ourselves who would condemn us. No, Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus stands for us. And when Jesus spoke to the woman who was about to be stoned to death for her adultery, Jesus does the exact same thing for us, except Jesus is stoned in our place. Jesus took the stoning that we expected to get, that we thought we would receive. They stoned Jesus, but because they did that, because Jesus gave himself up for that, now we don't have to face that. Nobody stands to condemn us anymore because Jesus took that for us. So what does that have to do with how we can know that God loves us? I mean, if God would do that for us, if we question if God loves us, then we only need to remind ourselves of what he went through for us. And because we know he went through this for us, we can know for sure that he really does love us. Whenever there's times that we doubt that God loves us, and there will be times that we doubt, all we have to do is look to Jesus and say, wow, if God would put on flesh and blood and take that for me, then I don't have to question anymore if God loves me, but I can know for sure that he really does love me, that his good news is for me, that his good news is for all of us. And the second way that we can know that God loves us is because of his commitment. God is committed to us. Now, Paul acknowledges that we are united with God. Well, how do we know that? Because Paul says, who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? So even though Paul doesn't say we're united with God, if he says who will separate us, doesn't that mean that we're united? I mean, nobody's going to separate us unless we're presently already united to God through Jesus. So he says that you're united with God, but what will separate us? What can possibly separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ? Well, he, at, he brings up Psalm 44, 22. In verse 36, he says, As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, a lot of times, whenever you hear somebody referencing a verse of a psalm in the Bible, a lot of times they're referencing that entire psalm. Like when Jesus prayed a psalm on the cross, yes, he was referencing that verse, but he was also referencing the entire psalm, possibly. And when you read the entire Psalm 44, really what it's about about somebody thanking God, but also wondering where God is. Where are you at the moment, God? I'm confused. Are you abandoning us? Are you leaving us? Because times are hard right now. And they even say, for your sake, God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This seems like kind of a random verse to have in here. This seems like a very random thing for Paul to write. But this is what Paul is getting at. When Paul says that our cry is for your sake, God, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What is God's response? God's response is, for your sake, I am killed all the day long. When Jesus was killed, it was an all-day event. And he says, I am regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, Jesus doesn't say, oh, just get over it. Oh, well, just stop worrying. No, he says, 
No, when you cry out that for my sake that you are suffering, guess what? I'm going to suffer for your sake. What does that show us about God? That too also shows us how committed God is to us. I mean, he says, I am the good shepherd. He even said, Jesus said himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd's Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The shepherd is not haphazard about his sheep. He is committed. He's absolutely committed to his sheep, even to the point of dying for his sheep. So if we question God's commitment to us, we can look to Jesus, but we can also look to what Jesus did for us. And what Jesus did for us shows us how big and how deep his commitment is to us. Let me ask you, and you can answer out loud if you want, what is the difference between dating and marriage? Commitment. 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 Everybody said commitment. Well, God does not want to date the church. How do we know he's talking about the church? Well, he says, who will bring any charge against God's elect? That's a weird word, elect. But when you see elect... Substitute that word with church. He's talking about the church. Who will bring any charge against the church? What is the church? The church is all those who are in Christ. Well, then why does he use the word elect? Because Christ was always going to be the way. Jesus was plan A from the very beginning. So he says, who will bring any charge against the church? And what is the church? It's those who are in Christ. And God doesn't want to just date the church. No, God wants to marry the church. How do we know that? Because the church is often referred to in the Bible as the bride of Christ. That's another way of saying that God is committed to his people. God is committed to the church. Now, when people get married, what do they say? They say, uh, I take thee to be my wedded husband or wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness, and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. But what does it say? It says, who shall separate us from God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. And then in 39, verse 39, he says, uh, or actually verse 38, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does that not sound like wedding vows to you? That's God's wedding vows to us, the church. But there's a big, big, big difference between our wedding vows and these wedding vows. We say, till death do us part. But these wedding vows say, not even death, not even life, nor death, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Can famine or sword take us away from the love of God in Jesus? No, not even death itself. It's a huge commitment to give your life in marriage to someone until you die. But God says, No, my commitment is even bigger than that. My commitment is forever. Nothing can ever separate my commitment to you. 
And that is good news. And we can believe in that good news and trust in that good news because we've seen how committed God is to us. When we look at Jesus, we see how committed he is to us. I mean, when you're marrying somebody, you may be hoping that they're committed to you, but Jesus has proved how committed he is to us. He's proved how much he loves us. So we don't have to fear not being able to trust him because we know that we can trust him because of how far he's gone for us. Like Paul said, he who did not even spare his own son, how how can we trust him to hold, or how would we think that he would hold anything else back from us if he's given us his own son? No, we can trust totally in his commitment to us. It's not till death do us part. No, Paul is convinced that nothing can do us part from God because of what Jesus went through. And when Paul asks, what can separate us from the love of God in Jesus in verse 35? Let's read that again. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, when we look at Jesus and we look at verse 35, we see that Jesus, and this is really interesting, Jesus has already faced all of these things. Jesus has faced everything that he brings up in that passage. Who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No, Jesus faced that tribulation on the cross. Shall distress? No, Jesus faced the greatest stress ever on the cross, even to the point of sweating as if someone was bleeding drops of blood. Shall persecution separate us? No, well, Jesus faced that persecution on the cross. Well, what about famine? What about not having enough food? Well, Jesus starved on the cross. What about nakedness? No, Jesus was naked on the cross. Jesus faced that for us. Or we may say, oh, that's so shameful to be naked. Surely, if we went through that through people, that God would separate his love for us. But no, Jesus already went through that for us. Shall danger separate us? No, Jesus faced that on the cross. Shall sword separate us? No, Jesus was pierced. He was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus faced all of this. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying that everything you could ever fear separating you from the love of God in Christ Jesus has already been faced by Jesus. And not just faced, it's already been defeated. So when he says, you are more than conquerors through him who loves us, what is he saying? He's saying that we have the victory in Jesus. We have this victory not of ourselves, but through and by and from Jesus. And it's a victory over all that we fear could separate us from the love of Christ. And we have it in Jesus, by Jesus, from Jesus. We have victory in in Jesus, and if it was just up to us, we wouldn't even be conquerors. But because our victory is in Jesus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can know that we have the victory over death. We can know that we have the victory over tribulation and trials, distress, over anything or anyone that would like to split us from God. Because God himself has said, I've faced all of that for you on the cross. I died on the cross, but it died with me. And it did not raise from the grave. No, I alone rose from the grave. I alone rose from the tomb. Not your fears, but the one who loves you and gave his life 
for you. And if God did not spare his own son, why do we think he would spare anything else from us? No, he's given us everything, namely himself. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his son. He's given us his presence. And so that is how we can know. That is how we can know that the good news is for us too. That is how we can know that God's love is for us and not just for a little while. God's not just dating us. God is committed to us. He's married to us. God's never, ever leaving us. And how do we know? Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can know and see that God is absolutely committed to us. So what is our response to that? The only response is to say, God, I'm, I'm committed to you. I'm not as good as you, God. I'm sinful. I fall. I mess up. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve to be your bride. And yet, and yet you still gave up your life for me. You still faced the cross for me. The only possible response is to say, yes, when it truly hits you, how much God loves you and how committed he is to you. Yes, we might say, how do you know? Are you sure? But when we look at Jesus, we can say, oh, that's how you know. I see how you know now. Are you sure? Yes, I've seen Jesus. I saw him die for me. Yes, even for me. And because of that, I can say along with Paul, what shall we say to these things? Shall anything else in all creation separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Shall height or depth or nakedness, or famine, or sword, or tribulation, or distress, or any powers, or death, or life? No, nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from what we have in Jesus. And that is part of why it's good news for all of us. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. This is our good news. This is the church's good news. This is everyone's good news for those who would accept it. God has given us himself he's made a way for us where there was no way and because of that we can say like Paul I am convinced let's pray God we are stunned that you love us that much that you would lay down your life for us and when we look at ourselves when we really really look at ourselves we see that we don't deserve it. But when we look at Jesus, we see how loved we are. We see our worth is given to us in you, by you, and that our worth is for you. We see, God, through Jesus, how much you love us, God. And if we ever fear losing that love, if we ever fear you leaving us, all we have to do is look at how far you've come for us. If we fear someone taking us away from you, all we have to realize is that they have already been defeated by Jesus. Death itself has been defeated, God, and we have life and hope and joy and peace in you, God. So I pray that we would have gratitude for that today. The only real response, God, is to say thank you, to say yes to you, God. So I pray, God, that today would be a day of giving thanks to you when we realize how committed to us you are and how much you love us. And I pray, God, that this passage would be on our hearts whenever we doubt how much you love us. 
that we would remind ourselves, as Paul said, nothing can ever separate us from the love we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.